This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hales, host of the Finding Holy podcast and author of the book, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. Here at the Finding Holy podcast, it's our mission to help you connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. We know you're busy, you're commuting or walking or doing the dishes, and it's hard to actually connect to those deeper parts of ourselves and the deeper truths about the world and God. And so we hope that the Finding Holy podcast is just one tool in your tool belt to help you connect those dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. I can't wait to introduce you to my guest and friend, Catherine McNeil. She's a fabulous guide into looking for the beauty in the midst of mundane, normal life. Shiri has a new book out called All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. And we talk about the seasons and God's creation and how in the midst of our chaos do we actually awaken to the fact that God is here and he's present in all the pain and brokenness. Here's a bit about Catherine. Catherine is a writer and speaker who seeks to open eyes to God's creative, redemptive work in each day while caring for three kids, two jobs, and one enormous garden. Catherine McNeil is on the lookout for wisdom, beauty, and iced coffee. She's the author of All Shall Be Well, as well as Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as a Spiritual Discipline, which was an ECPA finalist for new author. Be sure to stick around to the end of the episode, where we'll give you just one small step that you can take into your chaos to awaken to God's presence in your life. Here's my conversation with Catherine. Well, I'm very excited to welcome my friend Catherine McNeil to the Finding Holy podcast today. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Ashley. I'm so happy to be here. It's wonderful to be here. So Catherine and I are in the same Writers Guild, Redbud Writers Guild, and she's writing books. And I was like, we need to chat about your newest book, All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. And it's out now. And you guys, I got to read it in the trees, which is a really appropriate space in which to read Catherine's book. So I, we were up in Northern California for a little vacation with family, and it was the perfect vacation read, um, just precisely because it's all about creation. So Catherine, just tell us maybe a few sentences about your book, and we'll, we'll have a great chat about it. Absolutely. Well, I think um, what I'm trying to do with All Shall Be Well is to as the subtitle says, open our eyes and awaken us to the fact that God who created this world did it on purpose and intentionally. And there's Hmm. things that he placed here um, that we should, we can, we're invited to take a look at and find God here because he's still here. And I think, um, not to get too long right here at the beginning, but it's really important to me to point out that it's not just in the beautiful, hmm. happy, easy um, aspects of creation and of life, but mm-hmm. even in the darkness, um, the difficulty, the suffering. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because I think, you know, one thing that your book can be a really great corrective for is this idea that, you know, if I follow Jesus, if I love him, if I've made a commitment, if I go to church, if I tithe, if I do all these okay things, then, you know, my life is always going to go up and to the right. Ah, I would love my book to be a corrective for that. (laughs) Yes, I don't, (laughs) I see no biblical or historical support for that idea whatsoever. (laughs) So how do we get this goodness of God in our bodies, even in the midst of pain? Absolutely. That is, that is the question I think of our lives. It really is. Sorry. (laughs) Just starting you off with a big one. (laughs) Right. So if I could solve all the problems of the universe here for you today. Right. Yeah. um, But seriously, I believe that. God has placed in all the cycles and seasons and all the repetitions of creation, the answer to that, um, or at least the sustenance for the journey. And, you know, if you've taught children or adults or taught at any level, you've heard, you've learned that humans learn best through repetition Mm -hmm. and everything about God's world is always repeating day Mm -hmm. and night and day and night and uh, the seasons, everything is constantly going in a circle and coming back again. And I think that as we go through these ebbs and flows, part of what he wants us to learn and what we can, the area that we can grow in is finding that, you know, nighttime comes every day, but Mm -hmm. so does the dawn Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. winter and dormancy and death come. And so does new life and just trusting after the repetition, um, that all shall be well, even Mm. when things do not appear that way now, that God's Mm. plan is long-term, um, that he is with us through all the ebbs and flows. And we kind of practice that by walking through the, the repetitions of the earth. Mm, I love that too, because, you know, in a lot of ways we can, you know, it strikes me as we can hold two things in tension. We can both hold this kind of cyclical nature, right, of sin and redemption, as well as, you know, seasons and, you know, the created order, you know, that we keep kind of coming around back to the same Mm -hmm. things. And yet we can also see, you know, Christianity being so different often from other religions in the fact that it it has an end, it has a telos, you know, it's Mm -hmm. going somewhere. And I, I feel like you're trying to hit that tension. You know, it's not just this endless, repeatable, cyclical sense of history. And in fact, you write um, one of my favorite bits at the end of your book, you say, yeah, this is reality. Existence is beauty and pain in equal and astonishing measure. We must acknowledge that joy and suffering coexist as one and not two, that God has not promised a life free from pain, but a life lived within pain and that worship and healing happen only in this place. Oh, it's so true and so hard to actually do. Yes, I agree. (laughs) Yes. So tell us about some of that in your own life. Um, For listeners, they may not have known, but I mean, I'm just thinking since we're friends, I know that you recently had a concussion and that has really kind of shifted, you know, even how you've been able to promote this book. Um, So maybe that might be one of the examples that you've seen in your, your own life of this life lived within pain and beauty, even in the darkness. Absolutely. I would, um, I, yes. In February, I had a pretty random, um, misstep. I fell on my chin and gave myself, turns out a major concussion. So it's taken most of this year to recover. Um, I had finished writing this book 
So I was not alluding to that experience when I wrote that, but right. I, I have thought over and over again, actually, um, how this year of struggling through um, being unable even to think at times to act, to work, to drive, to be around other people, how deeply it threw me into the experiences that I wrote about in the book, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, about hanging on through the dark times, through dormant periods that I did not ask for during right. a season where I wanted to be um, celebrating new life or right. growing and flourishing. And uh, instead, I spent literally months sitting in a chair, unable mm. to really do anything else. Mm. So, um, What were the things that sustained you? Oh my, uh, you know, little things, I think like an app on my phone, um, pray as you go, that mm-hmm. would, uh, give me a little spiritual nourishment when I couldn't read anything, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. the Bible or a devotional or anything. Um, listening to audiobooks when I couldn't, I could not read for months. And obviously I'm an author. Reading is what I primarily <laughs> yeah. do. Um, walking. I found that even though I could do very little, I could walk slowly. Mm. It didn't cause me to focus on anything too close up. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than anything, I would say, and this is back in keeping with the book, it's not that I wasn't miserable. I was miserable, but I did believe that God met me in that place. Mm -hmm. And I can remember one moment in particular where I was crying out to God. Um, You know, again, I know this was a temporary problem. It's not like I lost my children um, or that I was facing death. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew always that it was a temporary inconvenience, not a tragedy. Yeah. But still it was hard. And Mm -hmm. I can remember one day when I was crying out to God, um, to free me from it. And I so clearly believe that he said that this suffering was not the bondage. It was the freedom Hmm. that something about this season, not that he chose it for me Mm -hmm. or that he, um, had caused it, but that something about this season was freeing me from Mm -hmm. the true bondage that I was in. And I really clung to that and I embraced that. And I, um, kind of like the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel and refusing to leave until he's been blessed Mm -hmm. Uh, as my recovery was prolonged and seemed to (laughs) be much further down the road than I wanted. I remember asking God for whatever reason, this is taking forever. um, Don't let me move on until I have received the blessing that you have Mm -hmm. in mind. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to name that blessing? You know, I don't, I, it's not clear to me. It's, I don't have like a little, everything wrapped up with a bow, you know, right. this happened for this reason. <laughs> yeah. I don't think life is that way, but you know. I do, I do believe that there was something healing for me in mm-hmm. being forced to sit down and do nothing and produce nothing. Yeah. And contribute nothing <laughs> for an extended period of time. As yes. Much as I did not prefer to do that. Right. It's a very Whether, long winter, right? Yes. It was a very long winter. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, Catherine's first book, Long Days of Small Things, is all about motherhood as a spiritual discipline. Um, so tell us too, how do you feel like your two books, All Shall Be Well and Long Days of Small Things, really are kind of tied together um, in the yeah. things that just kind of ignite you? 
I think they are both tied together, even though they are not necessarily written <laughs> for the same audience. Um, both of them focus on spiritual formation. I'm taking theology and biblical studies, and I'm attempting at least to ground it very solidly in our our real life mm-hmm. and saying um, whether or not I have an opportunity to be in seminary right now or listening to a sermon or in a Bible discussion group, the truth of God is applicable to mm-hmm. wherever I happen to be right now, whether that's chasing toddlers, um, doing laundry, um, walking to the car, uh, whatever is happening right now mm-hmm. is God is relevant to that, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that experience is relative, relevant to God and God's truth. And just inviting myself and hopefully readers along the way um, to awaken to that, mm-hmm. that there's not a sacred, secular distinction mm-hmm. in which um, God is over in this one or two hours of my day and the rest is something else. God is in all of it. Mm-hmm. I think... A lot of these sorts of books, yours included, are really trying to say, actually, if Jesus is real, if Christianity is true, then it needs to be something more than, you know, this nice little moral thing that we tuck into the corner of our weekends. And if God actually created the world, then God is here. Not, he didn't create this entire complicated, messy, beautiful um, chaotic world and then escape to tiny, one tiny little corner of it mm. and say, see if you can find me here, you right, know? Right, right. Uh, it's not like he put us in the middle of a maze. Right. And then said, try to solve the riddle. Right. He is yes. here. He mm-hmm. wants us to find him. Mm. So what does that look like for you on an average day? Well, I am a very reflective and contemplative person. So I would love to say that for me, this looks like spending an hour <laughs> every day, sipping my latte and walking along the beach. But it does not. <laughs> um, and I think that's why I write what I do mm. because I need that reflective, um, contemplative meat, but yes. I have to find it somehow inside the chaos. Yes. And so Amen. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of every chapter, actually in both books, both all shall be well and long days of small things. I offer a few practices, um, that we can do ideally wherever we happen to be, no matter what is going on, how much time we may have, um, in which I invite the reader, but really myself, let's be honest, we yes. write for ourselves, yes. um, to remember that God is here with us, however chaotic mm-hmm. the day may be. Um, so practices that can I can use the things around me to remind myself, to jolt myself mm-hmm. into remembering um, that God is here. So that might be the way, you know, taking a moment to focus on my breathing or mm-hmm. even the way I'm walking when I walk to the car, using that as a reminder. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little kind of triggers to, yes, to reorient triggers. yourself. Yeah. To pull the blinders off my eyes. Um, I talk in All Shall Be Well. Um, actually, I don't. I think I edited it out. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, scratch that. <laughs> I have I have written. Well, tell pack. us though. It's extra. Yes, about um, the silver chair for mm-hmm. by C.S. Yes. Lewis and Jill and Eustace are traveling on this mission from Aslan. They have signs. They have a clear goal. And but they're cold and it's snowing and they are tired and they have totally lost sight of what they're supposed to be doing. And the fact that Aslan actually has pointed them to words written on the ground showing the way. Yeah. Somehow they don't see any of it because mm. it's snowing and they're cold and they're tired. And that just feels like the metaphor for my life. Mm. God's beauty, God's presence, his glory, his truth is all around me. Um, whether it's in my children's faces or in the trees um, with their brilliant autumn leaves, it's just everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm just thinking about what I have to get at the store and what time I'm going to make it to my appointment. So somehow I just have to be awoken mm-hmm. every single day. I have to wake up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so easy to go through life just on autopilot. And yes. Yeah. And the challenge to be awake, right, is the challenge right. to also be awake to pain and vulnerability and, you know, the possibility of being wounded. Um, yes. And yet that feels like that's kind of the way of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it does. It absolutely does. Yeah. So where have you in those wintry follow seasons, what are the things that have kept you kind of rooted and grounded in hope instead of you know, it's easy to give way to despair. It's easy to numb ourselves, whether we do that, you know, with any sort of substances or just turn on Netflix every night. What are the things that help you stay awake, especially when Mm. it doesn't feel like spring is around the corner? Mm. Oh, that's such a good question. And, you know, not that I have already attained all this. No, of course not. I do write, however, I explore the closeness of hope and despair a lot in Mm -hmm. all shall be well, Mm -hmm. because they do stand side by side. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're not extremely tempted by despair, I don't think what we're experiencing is really hope. Mm. It's maybe enjoyment or wishful thinking. Um, Mm. Hope and despair stand so close together because it's, it's in that it's darkest before the dawn, as they Mm -hmm. say, or where Mm -hmm. I live in the Midwest, um, winter can go on for so long, but then mm-hmm. there's that moment where you see the first sprig of green mm-hmm. peeking through the dead ground. And mm-hmm. I think hope always exists in those darkest, deepest places. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is always close to despair. How do I hold on to it? Um, music, I think, helps. Mm-hmm. I have sung my way through many deep mm-hmm. valleys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, I think just remembering the the small blessings of life, the yeah. smile on someone's face. Um, I recently got into an Uber um, yeah. after getting some hard news, immediately upon getting hard news. And I shared this news with the Uber driver and he looked me in the eye um, and he said, Catherine, be strong. You can do this. Mm. And, you know, it's just, there are glimpses of, hope all around us. Mm-hmm. It's not always enough to hold on to. You know, I have right. laid on the floor and pounded and said, God, it has not been enough. I need mm-hmm. more glimpses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's where the repetition comes in also. I know that I have made it through the darkness before yeah, and God will be with me through the valley this time too. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that. I love what you're saying about hope and despair being so close together because it feels like a lot of us are brought up in the sense that like to be a Christian means that, you know, we can be content in all circumstances, like Paul says. And yes, that's true as we grow into maturity, but it, it it's not this kind of fake contentment, right? It's it's a right. very hard one contentment that also looks like a lot of probably confusion and flailing and fist pounding too yes. in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I write about our life verses and how we love to take them out of context. Um, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans right. to hope in a future. That was written to a people who had been overtaken by another country right. and carried away into exile or stayed back, occupied while their children were carried away. And the hope and the future and the redemption was coming 70 years down the road. Right. Um, if my children were carried away from me and God promised me that in 70 years, after I was long dead, <laughs> their children would return back, I don't know that that would be enough for me to kind of cross-stitch on a pillow. And <laughs> yeah. So I think we do. We lose sight of how comfortable I think God is with the dark seasons. Not that mm -hmm. it's... Not that he's okay with them, but that his timing is not our timing. Right. And he is still there. He is still faithful. He is still present. He is still lifting us up. Even when it is 70 years and not maybe 25 minutes, like mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. strongly prefer. Right. Yeah. And really, you know, those waiting times fashion a depth of character and a, you know, a deeper understanding of God's faithfulness than anything yeah. else could. Yeah. I was praying with my kids last night um, before their first day of school, and we were reading verses about God's faithfulness and singing some songs about God's faithfulness. And I said to them, now, does that mean that nothing will go wrong tomorrow at school? <laughs> and they kind of said in unison, no, but it means that God will be with us no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where hope is found, is in that promise. Mm-hmm. And so here's a question. I think it's very easy to kind of have this sense of God as this. It's easy to to use our circumstances and even our good theology, right, to hold God at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And so when we do experience, you know, these valleys and pain and suffering, um, you know, just fallow seasons where the rug is pulled out from under us, how do we actually experience God instead of, you know, our version of God or a nice, neat little sanitized versions of God that we can mm -hmm. theologize about? And I'm not saying, of course, that theology is not helpful, but we can even use good things, right, to yeah. distance ourselves from God. So maybe if you wanted to share just What's one practice in these moments where you feel like you can, you've been able to open yourself up to God to experience the presence of God for real and not just, yeah, you know, using our life verses, right, to give us this sort of false sense of cheerful hope when, yeah. you know, we're in despair or we, you know, flip-flop between despair and hope. Well, I don't know if you'll count this as a practice, but I think honesty Mm. Is, I think it's honesty. I love um, that verse in the Bible where Lazarus has died and Jesus could have come earlier and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And Lazarus's sister runs towards him and says, um, why didn't you come? Why yep. weren't you here? And in just a few more verses, she confesses that she believes that he's the Messiah and still she's yelling at him that he's mm -hmm. the wrong thing. And, and he doesn't like 
turn around and walk away. He mm-hmm. goes to her and hugs her. And mm-hmm. um, I think that just being honest with how hard life is and uh, the fact that we're angry about it and right. we are weeping and wailing and pounding on the floor, um, not, you know, in self-pity, but in, in true grief and lament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think when we try to put a dishonest face so that we appear like a good Christian, I think that's where we get into trouble. God knows our hearts yeah. and our community kind of needs to see the fullness of, of, of lament and experience. And mm-hmm. so if honesty can be considered a practice, I think that no, that's think the that's one great. I'd go with here. That's great. Thank you. So Catherine too, I always like to kind of close our show and talk about everybody's laundry practices. Cause kind uh, of, you know, the whole heart right of your book is trying to bring all of these ideas about God and connect them right with our everyday life to see where we see God and the world around us. And so I think we can see God in our laundry too. So I want to know what is your laundry routine? <laughs> <laughs> My laundry routine is to to procrastinate as long as humanly possible uh, with every step, you know, don't do any laundry until there are no clean clothes. Right. And then don't put it in the dryer until it's almost gone bad. And then <laughs> don't take it out of the dryer until it's wrinkled. And then definitely don't fold it until, I don't know. Until I am you have laundry. to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what is, yeah. What is the reticence of the laundry? What The reticence? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think there's just so much of it. Right. Uh, family of five. <laughs> yes. Um, but I actually do, in long days of small things, I do talk about how repetitive tasks like this mm-hmm. can um, be one of those things that awaken us to God's presence and his provision. The fact that I have so much laundry to do means that I have plenty. Mm-hmm. And it means that I have children and a family, and those things are a blessing. And so... On my better days, when I do laundry, I do try to um, just use the repetition of that task to awaken my mind and quiet my spirit and um, enter into gratitude for all the many blessings that do result in much dirty laundry. <laughs> and it's a good thing to slow you down too, right? Yes. It's another yes. thing to point us to our human frailty and our need for grace. Absolutely. I love it. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's been such a pleasure to talk about pain and loss and suffering, but also to laugh, to talk about laundry and the ways that we can actually see God all around us. Yes. Well, thank you, Ashley. It's great to be on here. You're welcome. Friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Catherine McNeil. Head on over to the show notes where you will find the links to follow her, to sign up for her email list, and be sure to snag a copy of her newest book, All Shall Be Well. It's a beautiful book that helps us consider hope, lament, suffering, joy, sorrow, pain all together, and to not cop out and say that God is distant, but that he is near and that he is our man of sorrows in the pain and challenges of life wherever we find ourselves. So I'm going to offer you this one small step to take into your everyday holy life. And it's this in the next few minutes. And if you have time to write it down, that would be even smarter because you can go back to look, but write down 
Where do you see hope? Where do you feel hope? Where do you touch hope? If you can make this as concrete as possible, that would be awesome. And, you know, so it might be the trees. It might be creation like you see around you. But where do you also see despair in your own heart and life and mind and the lives of your community? Where do you see hope? Where do you despair? But put those things together because as we can hold those two in tension, I believe we'll begin to make the divide closer between what we say we believe and how we actually live. And we'll be able to connect the dots between the things that really matter and your everyday holy life. And as a little thank you, guys, I wanted to give you a special surprise and a special giveaway at the end of this episode. And It's really easy. All you need to do is subscribe to the Finding Holy podcast. If you're already subscribed, go ahead and share and then send me an email at findingholypodcast at gmail.com. Tell me, hey, I subscribed or hey, I shared and you'll be entered to win a free copy of Catherine's book, All Shall Be Well. And what's really exciting, you guys, coming up in November, we have a whole new series with a crazy amount of giveaways, and we're going to talk about what does it look like to live this Christian life well in our places, whether you're in Manhattan, if you're in middle America, or you're in the Southern California suburbs, just like me. I can't wait for you to listen into those conversations in November because big things matter, but so does the laundry. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.